The following podcast contains strong language, adult humor, and opinions that are solely that of the host unless stated otherwise and should not be taken seriously by anyone. Listener discretion is advised. If you're easily offended, sensitive, or under the age of 18, please just stop listening and go do something else. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Thank you. Microphone check one, two, three. It's time. <laughs> Happy Friday. Uh, welcome, one, welcome all to Anthony Gaston's The Be Mike Podcast. This is my humble abode. If this is your first time listening, thank you. I appreciate you for tuning in. If this is your last time listening, uh, thank you too, I guess. <laughs> Kinda. If, you, if you're leaving me, then just leave. Get out. I don't, I don't want you here. Anyway, God, you're just holding me back. Ugh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hope everybody has had a great week. Uh, it's been a short week for me, honestly. I feel like I haven't done too much this week. It's been very, very relaxing for the most part. So that's good. I like that. I like to have those days where I can just chill, knowing that every everything that I have been trying to bring into fruition is manifesting and, you know, it's starting to get to that point where things are, where, where Everything that I've been working towards um, so far this year, I'm starting to be, uh, or, or I'm about to be able to actually indulge in, I guess you could say. Uh, so I'm excited. I'm very excited. Uh, uh, on today's episode, I have a few topics. I did bring a few. We, girded, we, we did the narcissism test. Uh, we'll be discussing that. I'll be defining narcissism and just briefly going into narcissism in adolescence as well. Um, imposter syndrome, it's a very, very touchy subject, so we'll be getting into some imposter syndrome briefly. And um, I was thinking of getting into some vegetarianism, but I may not. Uh, the power of hope, based on a conversation that I had uh, yesterday, I may get into that. I think my microphone levels are very strange right now, so let me briefly pause and come back to check. Alrighty, we are back. Uh, uh, let me see. So where do we want to start? Oh, and then I was also going to maybe talk about the benefits of box breathing. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, let's start with the power of hope. Uh, ooh. <laughs> so this conversation just comes from a conversation that I actually had, uh, or this topic comes from a conversation that I had yesterday, actually, uh, where a friend of mine was just telling me, you know, that she basically uh, feels like her, you know, she's able to just think 
that you know not think i'm trying to i'm trying to to say what she said but in a way that sounds respectful um she basically said like when she manifests something like if she just hopes that she has it or just kind of just wanting to have something uh just having that strong want to have something typically uh, allows her to just get it i guess like like being able to hope that you'll get something somehow leads to her just getting it uh <laughs> i don't <laughs> i was trying to understand it obviously i can't even repeat it because i i can't it, it's tough for me to repeat because it's hard it's still hard for me to kind of grasp that understanding like i i do understand manifestation um i believe in manifestation and the power of it and being able to you know if you have a thought or idea or a plan that you want to execute, you know, thinking about it first and then, you know, like planting little seeds here and there for it to, to manifest and grow uh, is what eventually ends in that, you know, flower blooming, I guess, in this, in this uh, example I'm trying to give. So I do understand that, like, you know, you, you hope that something, you hope that you achieve something and you get it, right? Uh, I don't know. I just feel like I don't have the luxury of hope sometimes, um, you know, and by that, I mean, I don't feel like I've afforded myself that, uh, that luxury of being able to, to, to hope that something happens and then it just does. I feel like in my life and just the way that it, that it kind of has worked out for me, it seems like I actually have to go, like put in the work. I have to like kind of in completely engulf myself into that in order for me to to make something of it um it's like with graphic design and video editing or anything that that i can think of that you know i wanted to achieve something in it it wasn't just like hoping that i would achieve it is what got it done for me it's like i actually had to go and and get my feet my my feet and my hands dirty like i had to go and cross through the mud and actually work for it you know for for any sort of achievement um it, i mean i just go that for me goes back to like even high school like trying to get a high school diploma uh of course in high school you know you're going through the classes you're going through the motions you want to graduate you want to get the diploma that's what's expected of you as a student uh but me i, I was a horrible student i was bad at it uh, <laughs> <laughs> especially in high school you know that was those are the years where i felt like i i kind of fell back into a deep very very deep depression and you know i was skipping classes and eventually that led to me getting kicked out of school and all of my quote-unquote hopes or dreams of graduating and stuff like that and walking the stage and all that it kind of died a little bit and uh you know, with that came having to go outside of the normal or the norm to get a diploma. Like I had to go to uh, opportunities for learning, a charter school. And even that, you know, I didn't complete. You know, I put that, I, I stopped going to that eventually. And then I, you know, after a year of it being that you didn't graduate, you know, I just ended up just saying, fuck it for a long time. Uh, Almost 10 years I went without having a high school diploma, without any sort of like goals or, or accomplishments in mind that will come from me having to get a high school diploma. So I just, I had to 
like I said, I, I couldn't just hope to get a diploma. Eventually, I had to kind of weigh my options. Like, is it going to be a GED? Is it going to be like, what, how can I even get a diploma? And I guess this is where a little bit of like, do you consider it fate or coincidence that I just so happened to be scrolling on Instagram one day, not even thinking about a diploma, maybe briefly, but not actually, you know, every day thinking about it, wanting to get it. And then I see that there's a program for adults to get a high school diploma. Uh, you just have to, you know, enroll, go through a process and, you know, interview process and all this type of stuff. And I applied. I didn't hope that I would get you know, enrolled and everything like that. I just applied. I felt like I was eligible. I felt like it, this was like the perfect opportunity for me. So I, I took the initiative. I applied, uh, did the interview uh, at, the, at the library here, a uh, local library in Vegas. And I got accepted and I was enrolled in, in high school all over again, not completely, but I just had, a, you know, some credits I, I needed, to, some credits and classes that I needed to finish out for me to be eligible for a high school diploma. And even then I took the initiative, got it started. And after a while, I feel like I got burned out. I was just like powering through it, kind of going through those classes so fast. I got burned out. And then I had, to, I took like a very long break even from that. And then I, in my head, I start getting a lot of self-doubt. I start getting, a, you know, I start to feel insecure, less confident, just knowing like I, I got this opportunity and now I'm just wasting it away. Just like all the other times <laughs> that I could have accomplished this goal, like I'm, I'm still putting it away. And again, I, I can't, I didn't, I, I can't afford myself the luxury of just hoping that, hey, I'm, I'm going to, go and finish it i have to take the initiative and have the, the mindfulness to see like hey i am the one that's in control of this situation i'm in control of myself i have to go and put in the work for me to complete this nobody's gonna do it for me i don't have any options to just cheat through it like i have to just go and put in the work and eventually of course i completed it and i'm very proud of that accomplishment and you know that led to me wanting to go back to Go, or not go back, but that led me wanting to go to go to college and study psychology and try to get even a more understanding of how we think, act, and behave. So that is, you know, that's kind of just where that came from. And just kind of to, to touch base on the, 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 you know, the power of hope. Psychology Today has an article that is titled The Healing Power of Hope written by Constance Scharf. Hope I pronounce your last name right. And she says, being hopeful can improve mental health treatment outcomes. And this article is very interesting to me because as someone who, like I said, I feel like I cannot afford myself the luxury of hope. Uh, maybe it is a good thing for me to kind of experiment a little bit and start to, to feel some hope. Uh, so there are some key points to this article, and I'll put a link to it in the chapters. Uh, you know, it's, she says, hope is a powerful tool for addressing some of our most prevalent mental health concerns. People who have hope for recovery see improved treatment outcomes of many mental health issues. Addiction, trauma, depression, and anxiety all show improved treatment outcomes among those who feel hopeful. And developing hope even with mental health issues is possible and fosters recovery. So 
let me see. Maybe I maybe this is something that I need to try. Maybe a listener out there maybe feels the same way like me, and maybe it's something that you need to try too. Uh, there are diff- a, a lots of different ways that hope can help. In this article, you know, um, I guess I should define hope. So based on the article, it says hope is defined as an expectation or desire that something will happen. It is also defined as an experience of trust. We might hope that our favorite sports team will win the championship or that the commute to work will be traffic free. When we apply hope to our mental health issues, we often see improved treatment outcomes and reduction of symptoms. Uh, I cannot rely on the luxury of hope from my favorite basketball team, unfortunately. As <laughs> a joke, I swear to God, every time I put some hope in a clipper, somebody gets fucking injured. What's, what is going on? I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> she details in the article uh, different types of, uh, you know, where hope helps, you know, like hope in addiction treatment, hope in trauma recovery, finding hope while experiencing depression, hope for recovery from anxiety, becoming hopeful, and uh, I think that's about all. But I'll just briefly read a section from uh, finding hope while experiencing depression, because I feel like this is going to help us all. (laughs) So, depression affects millions of people in the U.S. and around the world. People experiencing depression often have extended periods of feeling sadness, hopelessness, and or worthlessness. However, hope helps people heal from depression too. Believing even if only now and again that recovery is possible is associated with reduced depression symptoms and improved quality of life. Hope allows a person to experience the imp- God, my reading. <laughs> I can't read. <laughs> Hope allows a person to experience the impermanence of depression symptoms, sometimes just for a moment, and know that depression too can resolve. And the section on becoming hopeful says, or asks, so how does one foster hope? Developing hope while dealing with significant mental health issues is a multifaceted process, but it is possible with the right support and strategies. One crucial aspect is fostering a sense of connection and social support, whether through therapy, support groups, or trusted relationships. Setting realistic goals and focusing on small, achievable steps can provide a sense of progress and accomplishment. Engaging in activities that bring joy, practicing self-care, and maintaining a healthy lifestyle as much as possible can contribute to overall well-being. Cognitive behavioral techniques such as challenging negative thoughts and replacing them with positive ones can help people refrain from their perspective. Seeking professional help from mental health providers who specialize in evidence-based interventions can provide valuable guidance and assist in developing personalized strategies for cultivating hope. Hope is a powerful tool for resolving mental health issues such as addiction, trauma, depression, and anxiety. Hope can provide individuals with the strength and motivation to overcome their challenges and persevere through difficult times. Hope is associated with improved outcomes in mental health treatment, including reduced symptoms and improved quality. Oh, she's repeating some stuff in this article. I hate when I do that. But um, on that part, just, you know, mentioning engaging in activities that bring joy, uh, practic- practicing self-care, maintaining a healthy, healthy lifestyle, also just like setting realistic goals and focusing on small achievable steps. I feel like that's something that I practice unknowingly. Uh, like I said, just trying, you know, back to the diploma 
taking that initiative, applying and achieving that one step of getting the diploma, that's one. And then also applying to CSN, um, getting accepted and taking my, my courses. That's another small step. So it's, it's just always little, little achievable goals that I've been, like I said, unknowingly setting for myself. And thank God I am achieving them. Uh, also, thank myself. Uh, <laughs> and I just got to thank the people that I do lean on for support in, in times like, like this right now where I got to learn new things and challenge myself every single day, it feels like, uh, to just continue to grow and be better. So uh, this is, it's a process and it is a journey, but hope is hard to come by. I swear. It's like, it, it, it's just even coming from where I come from, having hope to just make it past a certain age, having hope to just any, any small thing. It, it just feels so, uh, it's so, it sometimes can feel redundant. Like I can't just hope something that happens. I got to go do it. And maybe if I just combine the two, that might help me a lot more. So let's try it together. Uh, <laughs> We can do it. We all can do it. Psychology is important, guys. Now, uh, imposter syndrome or narcissism? I feel like the narcissism one is going to be pretty long, honestly. So I'll get into the imposter syndrome, and I actually want to play a clip from Oprah. Uh, it's not from Oprah. She, she did a speech, though. So let me pull it up, and I'll play that for you guys. Do not let the world make an imposter syndrome out of you. Why? Because I knew who I was. And more importantly, I knew whose I was. I didn't know the future, but I knew who was in charge of the future. And my job, just as your job is, to align with God's dream for you. And my prayer was always, use me. Use me, God. Show me how and who you need me to be. Because this is what I will tell you. God can dream a bigger dream for you than you could ever imagine for yourself. I know not what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. All right, we're back, we're back. Now, imposter syndrome. What is imposter syndrome? You may be wondering if you haven't heard of it before. Uh, this is an article from Fast Company titled, How to Overcome Imposter Syndrome. Uh, imposter syndrome, also known as imposter phenomenon, was first identified and named by clinical psychologists Pauline Rose Clance and Z Suzanne Imez in 1978. Fast forward to today, while it's not an official diagnosis included in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, it's widely recognized among mental health professionals as a very real form of self-doubt. Often accompanied by anxiety and depression, it's experienced by all sorts of people in any number of situations. To continue, unfortunately, imposter syndrome is also something that most of us keep to ourselves, making it hard to spot, especially at work. But there are some telltale signs. And let me see. I want to play another clip. Uh, that way you're not just getting drowned out by my voice. This is actually from Ted Ed. And she define, uh, they define imposter syndrome a little bit more in detail. So 
let me play this clip really quick it's about four minutes but i think i'm gonna cut about half of it and uh i'll put a link to it as well that way you can watch the whole thing if you even after writing 11 books and winning several prestigious awards maya angelou couldn't escape the nagging doubt that she hadn't really earned her accomplishments albert einstein experienced something similar he described himself as an involuntary swindler whose work didn't deserve as much attention as it had received. Accomplishments at the level of Angelou's or Einstein's are rare, but their feeling of fraudulence is extremely common. Why can't so many of us shake feelings that we haven't earned our accomplishments or that our ideas and skills aren't worthy of others' attention? Psychologist Pauline Rose Clance was the first to study this unwarranted sense of insecurity. In her work as a therapist, she noticed many of her undergraduate patients shared a concern. Though they had high grades, they didn't believe they deserved their spots at the university. Some even believed their acceptance had been an admissions error. While Clance knew these fears were unfounded, she could also remember feeling the exact same way in graduate school. She and her patients experienced something that goes by a number of names, imposter phenomenon, imposter experience, and imposter syndrome. Together with colleague Suzanne Imes, Clance first studied imposterism in female college students and faculty. Their work established pervasive feelings of fraudulence in this group. Since that first study, the same thing has been established across gender, race, age, and a huge range of occupations, though it may be more prevalent and disproportionately affect the experiences of underrepresented or disadvantaged groups. At least so far, the most surefire way to combat imposter syndrome is to talk about it. Many people suffering from imposter syndrome are afraid that if they ask about their performance, their fears will be confirmed. And even when they receive positive feedback, it often fails to ease feelings of fraudulence. But on the other hand, hearing that an advisor or mentor has experienced feelings of imposterism can help relieve those feelings. The same goes for peers. Even simply finding out there's a term for these feelings can be an incredible relief. Once you're aware of the phenomenon, you can combat your own imposter syndrome by collecting and revisiting positive feedback. One scientist who kept blaming herself for problems in her lab started to document the causes every time something went wrong. Eventually, she realized most of the problems came from equipment failure and came to recognize her own competence. We may never be able to banish these feelings entirely, but we can have open conversations about academic or professional challenges. With increasing awareness of how common these experiences are, perhaps we can feel freer to be frank about our feelings and build confidence in some simple truths. You have talent, you are capable, and you belong. Okay, we're back. Now, I feel like throughout my life, I have definitely suffered from a, from a sincere feeling of imposter syndrome. Uh, just knowing that when I complete something or when I accomplish a goal, I am the first to minimize my accomplishments. I'm kind of like the harshest on myself. I'm definitely one of those people who are their own worst critic. So it's kind of normal for me to just brush off any of the accomplishments or things like that that I achieve. And then also like just using this process of becoming a behavior technician as, as an example, uh, you know, having to take the the exam and, and knowing that I studied for it for, for weeks ahead in advance and, and, you know, when I was in the process of taking these, the exam, just how much self-doubt I was putting into myself and the negative self-talk that I was, that I was, you know, in my head with, uh, 
And, you know, taking the test and everything, as soon as I finished it, the first thing I said to myself is, damn it, I didn't pass it. Like, I, I didn't even get my results. I just told myself I didn't pass that shit. And then get the results, and they're on my screen, and they're telling me, congratulations, you're officially certified as an RBT. And it's like, yes. Yes. You know, that that is in itself imposter syndrome. You know, I... I it's like I, I can't just ex I can't accept my confidence in, in something. Instead, I'd rather, I'd rather doubt myself and, and make, make things harder for myself just by like a negative self-talk uh, instead of positive self-talk and trying to reassure myself that, you know, that I did study for it and that I was ready to take the test. It's like I, I was trying to set myself up for failure. And I know that is a defense mechanism just you know, trying to understand you know, that realistically I could fail. And if I did, I should be able to get over it sooner because I was expecting it. Like, that's not healthy. That's not a, a healthy mindset or way to think. So in future situations like that, or, you know, even after that, just having to take tests in school and, and exams in school, you know, I go into those tests with a lot more confidence now. And I'm, and I'm not doubting myself while i'm in the process of taking a test you know I'm, I'm more or less just trying to make sure that i'm focusing on the information and and trying and, you know trying to bring to the forefront the knowledge that i was you know studying the whole time so it's like i don't know if anybody else here listening has dealt with imposter syndrome definitely read up on it a little bit more it's very 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 interesting even though uh you'll see that there are a lot of people who want to kind of just cancel imposter syndrome which is strange but i guess you know there are a lot of people who don't like the the term uh especially uh women in the workplace instead they would they want to credit or they want to discredit someone's negative self-talk and insecurities and, and everything they want to say that it's not that instead it's the sociological issues that hold people back and to an extent that is true you know like especially for women who are of color like black women uh indian women middle eastern you know they obviously are gonna have it a little bit more difficult than a lot of other uh, other race races of women uh you know and that's just a fact latin latino women have it harder uh, you know black women have it the hardest and there are a lot of sociological issues that come into play with that. But I do, I do to an extent feel like it is a lot of ourselves too. Uh, like Oprah Winfrey is a very successful Af black woman. Uh, about to say African-American, the hell is wrong with me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oprah Winfrey is a very successful black woman. And you know, even she has dealt with imposter syndrome, Albert Einstein, Maya Angelou. It's a lot of successful people. Uh, I just read an article that said that, uh, the dude who just played Batman, Ben Affleck, he has dealt with imposter syndrome and he's got like two Oscars or something like that. So even if we achieve greatness, there are still parts of us that are going to doubt that we can continue to achieve more and more greatness. So we just got to stay confident and continue to work on ourselves and be aware of negative self-talk and pessimism. Pessimism, it's back. Oh, no. <laughs> No more pessimism, more optimism. We got it. We got it. We got it. Uh, now, 
dang, that was I did pretty good. I'm doing pretty good, guys. I think I'm doing pretty good. It's like 30, almost exactly 30 minutes. We're a couple topics in. Uh, ugh, so I took that narcissism test, all right? Uh, <laughs> I did it. And the results are in. I wish I had a drum roll. And the conclusion is I am not a fucking narcissist. I say it all the time. People just don't like to believe me when I say it. I'm not. I'm not. I promise. My, my thing when people call me a narcissist, I say, look, I don't care about you the same amount that I don't care about myself, all right? It's, it's, not, it's not that I care about myself more than anybody else. As a matter of fact, I think we're all pieces of shit, okay? I think we're all fucked up. We all got mental health issues we don't work on. And I think we all need Jesus. You know? That's generally how I feel. I don't I don't think I'm better than anybody. Why would I why would I think that? Look at me. I'm just a lowly podcaster in school and stuff. God. <laughs> but seriously though, like I I've kind of already known like I wasn't a narcissist. I, I just I don't feel like, I just think that I'm better than everybody. I'm not that much of a dick. Not that far. <laughs> now, for those who don't know, and I'm sure you all know what a narcissist is. Uh, now, narcissism is a personality disorder. Uh, Psych Central defines it as a formal mental health diagnosis uh, and it's not just a type of personality or a personal, personal choice. Uh, and to understand the difference is the key to managing the formal symptoms of narcissism and supporting someone who's received this diagnosis. A mental health condition, including a personality disorder, affects how someone feels, thinks, and behaves. In turn, this can deeply affect day-to-day -day living and how people function in their relationships, at work, and in general. Researchers have found that specifically someone with narcissistic, narcissistic personality disorder may have a lower ability than others to acknowledge and understand how and why they think and behave the way that they do. Similarly, they may have a difficult time relating to what, to what other people feel or do. As a cluster B personality disorder, NPD is mainly characterized by behaviors that are dramatic and exaggerated, emotional and intense, or erratic and unpredictable. Ooh. Not everyone with NPD behaves in the same way. This is in part because there are so many different types of narcissism. Apparently there are, there are five. I'll put a link to those if you want to see the different five types. Uh, uh. Now, this is what narcissistic personality disorder is not. It says most of us will display at least one narcissistic trait at some point in our lives. These may be considered narcissistic behaviors or attitudes, but they differ from a personality disorder in se severity, frequency, and duration. There are many personality traits such as generosity and discretion, for example, 
they show to a greater or lesser degree in all of us. The same thing happens with a narcissistic trait. Narcissism, or at least some aspects of it, could be a personality trait in some people. In others, the severity and intensity of these narcissistic traits is such that it permanently affects and hurts how they relate to others and themselves. Narcissism as a personality trait might occasionally appear in some of our behaviors or thoughts. For example, you could have an ongoing rivalry with a coworker. This might lead you to, to make snarky comments around them or exaggerate the praise you receive from your boss when they're around. Maybe you even give them an unfairly poor review at some point. But this is an occasional reaction related to this specific coworker instead of a generalized attitude toward everyone else all the time. On the other hand, narcissism in someone with NPD is a persistent and characteristic trait. For example, you have an ongoing rivalry with all of your coworkers and even your boss, not the boss. <laughs> you think you're more intelligent and capable than them, and you should be in a higher, the one in the higher role. This happened to you in your last two jobs. In general, you feel you're far superior than other people you encounter at school, work, and other places. Remember that NPD is a mental health condition, but it does not refer to someone who has high self-esteem, displaying social confidence, being assertive, being proud of their real accomplishments, taking care of their physical appearance, being competitive, or someone who dislikes you. <sighs> I am not a narcissist, guys. Jeez, leave me alone about it. <laughs> and in order to be diagnosed as a narcissist, uh, there are two di uh, diagnoses. And if these criteria are met, they are personality traits that make it difficult for the person to relate and connect to other people or themselves. For example, how they control their own behavior or how they respond emotionally to other people. And two, pathological personality traits keep showing up across many different situations. And pathological in mental health terms refers to thoughts, emotions, or behaviors that negatively affect how a person sees, relates, and adapts to the world around them. Now, I took this test, all right, and literally I got the lowest score. I am like the least narcissistic person that you probably know. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if you want me to get narcissistic, I can, okay? Go ahead, I'll do it. I, I promise you, I'll do it. <laughs> now, apparently, uh, there is research that shows that narcissism actually might be brought about because of, you know, some trials and tribulations of adolescence. Uh, apparently... Narcissism during adolescence is linked to aggression, delinquent behavior, and self-reported anxiety and depression, depending on the specific characteristics of narcissism. Adolescents with narcissistic traits may be perceived negatively by their peers as manipulative, difficult to get along with, and likely to engage in future delinquency. However, they may also be viewed as competitive and good leaders. Now, I might have been a narcissist when I was younger. Oh God, I just broke my father. <laughs> Now, I may have been a, uh, a narcissist when I was a kid, to be honest. I think, I think I'll admit that because when I was a kid, I was definitely like, oh, yeah, I'm better than all of y'all at everything. Like, I skateboard better than you. I draw better than you. I do everything better than you. God, anything. It doesn't matter. I jump higher than you. I run faster than you. I fuck better than you. I get more bitches than you. I get, <laughs> like, it was that. <laughs> 
<laughs> so when I was younger, I think I definitely displayed more of it, and I was definitely like an aggressive kid. I, you know, I got whoopings as kids. God. <laughs> And, you know, research suggests that when you whoop your kids, like, with belts and stuff, it just makes them more aggressive. So, like, it's really my mom's fault. Uh, <laughs> but when I got older and I got, like, you know, some ego deaths from mushrooms and stuff like that, that's when I started to kind of, like, fall out of that like that thought of being narcissistic or being better than somebody so i think as i got older it, it went away i, I genuinely believe that um, now if you are dealing with some narcissistic traits as an adult grow the fuck up <laughs> and go to therapy god damn it see a psychologist there's so many of them out here god literally if you go to psychology today and put in your zip code you can find a psychologist near your house like just do it <laughs> Just freaking do it. God, take the initiative for once. Jeez. <laughs> so in closing, I am not a fucking narcissist. Leave me alone about it. <laughs> now, I mentioned uh, briefly... Uh, suffering like an ego death from mushrooms so I know I mentioned yesterday I wanted to get into that topic so let's get into the topic yeah are mushrooms or psychedelic mushrooms good for treating depression uh, I did some research but I also just to break down these these answers in a more concise and clear way I asked artificial intelligence I love artificial intelligence it's gonna take over the world one day might as well use it now uh, <laughs> And so I asked, what does research show or prove about using psychedelic mushrooms to treat depression and anxiety? Uh, and the response is this. According to web search results, research shows that psilocybin, a hallucinogenic compound found in some mushrooms, has therapeutic potential for people with anxiety or treatment-resistant depression. It should be taken with the supervision and guidance of a therapist and is not recommended for people with psychosis or a heart condition. Psilocybin can reduce perceptual changes and alter a person's awareness of their surroundings and of their thoughts and feelings. Some studies have also reported that microdosing psilocybin, which means taking a small dose of the compound every few days, can improve cognitive function and alleviate symptoms of depression and anxiety. However, microdosing may not cause the same changes in perception as a full dose. Another study by John Hopkins Medicine's researchers showed that psilocybin treatment for major depression was effective for up to a year for most patients who received two doses of psilocybin with supportive psychotherapy. The researchers found that the treatment led to significant and durable improvements in depression. These findings suggest that psilocybin may have a promising role in treat treating mental health disorders such as depression and anxiety, but more research is needed to understand its safety, efficacy, and mechanisms of action. Now, I have experimented, taken, grown, and uh, used mushrooms multiple times in my life. Um, probably more times than I would admit. But yeah, I've had, I've, I've had, I've done microdoses. Uh, I've done over the advised amounts, and uh, I've definitely had the ego deaths. And it was a trip, uh, <laughs> pun intended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it can be fun but also times it can be very scary uh you know just seeing the things that 
the visions and stuff like that that you see i might go into detail more on the b plus episode um but you know just having felt that gone through the ego death i feel like i've definitely lost the sense of myself at times but then i found who i truly want to be through ego deaths and um if people don't if you don't know what an ego death is uh i'll define it for you it, it an ego death is a phenomenon commonly linked with the use of psychedelics such as psychedelic mushrooms it is described by people who have experienced it as a feeling of losing oneself or sense of identity an ego death is also known as an ego dissolution because it involves the blurring of the boundaries between the self and the external world some people may experience ego death as a form of dying in which they let go of their ego and feel a sense of interconnection with everything else ego death may occur when psilocybin, the hallucinogenic compound in mushroom, activates serotonin receptors in the brain, especially in the prefrontal cortex. This part of the brain affects your mood, cognition, and perception. Psilocybin can also affect other regions of the brain that regulate arousal and panic responses, so be careful. <laughs> and just know ego deaths may not always be a pleasant or a positive experience. Some people may experience fear, anxiety, paranoia, or psychosis when they lose their sense of self. Ego deaths may also trigger or worsen pre-existing mental health conditions such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. So please, 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 I advise if you are going to try to self-medicate or treat yourself with psychedelic mushrooms, just do it safely under proper supervision with people that you feel comfortable with and somewhere you are comfortable. Uh, make sure you take the right dosage and, you know, be careful. It's to me, I, I would use it to treat my depression again. Uh, I, I don't know when is the next time I'm going to do it, but definitely you'll most likely hear about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, just doing it and experiencing the process of an ego death and, you know, coming out of it with more clarity and understanding of like world and, and of the world and life's concepts and stuff like that. It just it helps me gain an amount of clarity that i rarely just feel naturally so i i would recommend it but i would just recommend doing it safely and under the proper supervision and like i said with friends and people who probably have done it before if you've never done it before yourself um but yes i am gonna cut this pod it's it's running long again i keep doing these long episodes and i need to stop it's like geez 15 minutes man just make it short make it shorter i'm kidding but uh check out the b plus episode it'll be out later and uh everybody have a great day be careful with those fucking mushrooms okay be careful with the fucking mushrooms eh? i want you hiding yourself out here okay do your researches do your researches and your googles right and get you know nausea headaches dizziness blood pressure and inattention mild anxiety be careful with this shit right it's not safe right it's fun, but it's not safe, right? No one, no psychosis, no panic attacks, no depersonalizations, derealizations, harmful behaviors, aggravation of pre-existing conditions. Be careful, right? Be safe. Be sane. Take care of your mentals and do good things. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. This is Anthony Gass. This is the B-Make Podcast. We out of here. You feel me? Peace out. You know what I'm saying? That's how we do it around here on the B-Make. Mental health. We doing it. Big, like B.I.G. Notorious, we doing it. All right, peace, deuces. You know what I'm saying? I'll check you later on the flip side.
Get out of here. Leave. Go. What the dog doing?